Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, it's me and I want to thank everyone at the Oasis Podcast. As you were. Welcome back to the Oasis Podcast, the ultimate audio guide to Oasis. Hope you guys are alright. Lockdown is treating you okay. Uh, you're still keeping on, keeping on. Got a cool episode for you today. Um, yeah, they're coming thick and fast. I've got quite a few recorded. Um, I'm going to keep knocking them out probably a couple of week because we've got quite a few. So uh, why not? A couple of bits here today. The first thing is an interview I did with uh, two friends of the show, uh, Richard Bowes, the author of the new book, some might say The Definitive Story of Oasis, the official book of the Oasis podcast, uh, and also Katie Georgiou, who's a good friend of the show, who is from the Sound Effects podcast and is generally a wonderful person. So we are going to be talking about uh, Oasis' biggest mistakes What things in the Oasis history could they have done differently that would have made things better for the fans or themselves or, you know, what could have been done better anyway? That's the idea behind it. And it's just really a great chance for Katie and Richard and me to sit and talk to my Oasis for uh, about 40 minutes. And then after that, what I'm going to do is also drop in a bit of an interview I did recently uh, for... Don't Start a Band podcast, which is this chap called uh, Jake, who's um, yeah an American podcast called Don't Start a Band, where they talk to loads of different musicians and people from uh, different parts related to music. And he's a big Oasis fan, so he asked me to go on, so I did. And uh, yeah, that's like about an hour and 40 minutes. It's a good chunk, uh, but I'm going to drop about half an hour in here, and then also I'm going to put about another sort of 20 minutes, half an hour, on a Patreon episode coming out shortly. So if you want to hear a bit more of that, you can go and check out on Patreon, or if you want to hear the whole thing, then the link to that episode will be in the notes of this. So without any further ado, let's crack on with myself, Richard and Katie, talking about Oasis' biggest mistakes. Uh, all right, welcome to the Oasis podcast, um, Katie Georgiou and Richard Bowes. How are you doing, guys? I'm all right. <laughs> not bad, thank you, JC. Well, we're not, are we? We're no, not good, not <laughs> like really. we were just saying. <laughs> After having just done that listener experience of the uh, Morning Glory, which is absolutely brilliant, then we just, ugh, yeah, it's pretty horrible out there. But um, 
we're not going to focus on that because you know people listening to this are not listening for the crap that's going on in real life right now we're going to talk about a very interesting topic which is um oasis biggest mistakes now i've uh, basically like i freely admit that i've ripped this off from uh something about the beatles because they did a the beatles <laughs> biggest mistakes and i think it was a great topic i really enjoyed that episode um so yes we love oasis and we love the story and we love everything about it this isn't this is just to say let's imagine the sliding doors let's imagine we got a time machine you can go back you can say if this is what if scenarios could they have done things differently and would that have made for a better band or a better experience for the guys or for the fans so that's where we are um now the first one so so i put it out on twitter earlier i put sort of i mentioned five on there and we've had quite a lot of uh, people coming back on them so i think the first one to talk about um and something that you know comes up quite a lot is should they split up earlier and specifically as noel talked about in uh, in various interviews in supersonic should they split up after nebworth so uh katie what do you reckon should they have should they have split up after nebworth or at some other point before 2009 i don't think they should have split up after nebworth i think that um they definitely should have um at least done be here now but after Bonehead and Gwigs left, that's where I'm questioning it. I question whether they should have uh, maybe continued under a different name or taken a break or something like that. But I don't think it should have been after Nebworth, no. Right. What do you reckon, Rich? I, yeah, I, I think that's a hindsight thing. Everyone's kind of saying now it would have been a good idea because, you know, that seemed the end, the end point of the story. And obviously, the jam split up at kind of at a peak, but I don't think that was even discussed at the time. I don't think anyone it wouldn't have been allowed at the time. Let's be honest, <laughs> like from from a fan point of view, or even for anyone involved with the band, like I wouldn't, I didn't, I don't think it was even an option then. So I think that's yeah, I think that's hindsight playing its part then. And obviously, as a fan, I wouldn't have wanted them to have done either. And indeed, looking back on it now, I don't think they should have done. So yeah, I think that's uh, that's uh, an idealistic. Uh, I, uh, point of view but yeah not not viable i don't think mm. and would you have would you looking back on it do you think there was a time later on whether it be after bonehead and Gwigs left or you know at a certain point later in the 2000s when it would have made more sense for them to stop um i think it probably would have made more sense for them to stop after don't believe the truth i think if, if we're if going that way because i i think it was They'd got back to where I think where Noel kind of wanted them to be. You know, I think I think he kind of looked at the Don't Believe the Truth as maybe the follow-on from Morning Glory, kind of psychologically. Um, I think he kind of got got to a level where the songwriting was good. Everyone was on relatively relative parity, and everyone on good songwriting form. Commercially, they were pretty successful um, at that point, obviously. Um, so I think maybe then I think again again it's kind of hindsight. I think with Bonin and Griggs leaving, yeah, I think Katie's got a point there. I think maybe not to. Have, continued in the same under the same name um mm. but but then again you know still one of the biggest bands in the world mm. you know how do you do that then yeah do you know yeah. what i mean no i know what you mean and it's uh, that's it i'd never thought about that carrying on under a different name i mean that would have been a a very bold move i mean i think that that's kind of the the next sort of topic that, that i put out there was um should they have convinced bonehead and Griggs to stay or, or at that time, I mean, we know that, you know, they're recording the album in this chateau in France. Um, they have this big falling out. 
Bonehead leaves, Squeaks leaves a little bit later. Um, you know, in my interview with Simon Halfon, he like turns up and it's like, yeah, you can stay in Bonehead's room. Oh, what? Is he just out? Mm-hmm. No, no, he's gone home. What? You know, he's out of the band. Um, so, yeah, should they have just plowed on and carried on and recorded the album and toured the album, you know, with basically three members or, um, yeah, or from that point, should they have maybe called it quits, you know, tried to get Bonehead and Griggs back, rescheduled the recording? I've got a few thoughts on that because I... I actually think that um, when they went to America, you know, when like Liam kind of didn't go out there because he was looking for a house and then a little bit later, Noel quit the tour and came home and it was like almost like they'd split up, but didn't. You no, me and Kit, me and kid are sweet, you know what I mean? Yeah. I just had problems at home, you know, finding a house at a sore throat, couldn't come up with America, that is it, me and kid are sweet. But you know thousands I mean? of fans are upset by what you did. Well, there. So I was upset. I'm upset the way the fucking tour gets fucking wrote and that. You've got to go here, you got to go there. I had to find an house. Simple as that. Well, I can't come to America and go back to England. I've nowhere to live. I'm sorry. I come, I come first. I come first. You come before your fans do. You make yeah, of course I fucking do. That's me, yeah. I come, I come first. Fans. I don't care. I forgot about it. I didn't know. No one, no one saw him in the house out. I come first before any fucker. And that's my attitude, all right? Do you the deserve fans. any fans at all? Do you yeah, deserve fans? Yeah, of course I do, of course I do. How do you justify that? Because that's, that's the way it is, isn't it? Anyone got a light? Anyone got a light? Anyone got a light? I feel like at that point, what they should have done, they should have, if they had continued with that tour and released Master Plan then, whilst they were on tour, then it would have given them more time off afterwards and I don't reckon Bonehead would have left but I think that's a bit of an odd thing to say now because <laughs> but I, I think that if I if we were talking about mistakes I think Noel leaving that tour was the mistake that led ultimately to other things that led to Bonehead leaving mm. yeah that's that's yeah that's interesting I think yeah it's, it's easy to forget now but the mass time was like only just a year only just over a year after being out, you know, it, and it, it seemed the mood changed so much in that time that they kind of almost had to kind of redeem themselves. But I think, yeah, maybe maybe delaying the release of the Mastermind album a little bit more and then and then potentially buy themselves a bit more time to record the fourth album. And by virtue of that, everyone would have had a bit of essentially a year off that they now say they should have had rather than going straight into, as Katie says, finishing, ending that tour and then going straight into record Be Here Now. If they yeah, if they if they'd have allowed themselves a bit more time, yeah, that, that's that I, I could see that. I mean, they're lumped in together, though, aren't they? Because like less Gwigs, but you know, Noel essentially recorded all his parts for all the albums. But again, we now know that Bonehead was actually much more of a contributing factor to the band, at least in terms of, in terms of his musical proficiency, than we see now. And you know, in in he's he's been proved very much since to be the spirit. Um, so I think yeah, maybe. But then Bonin says, didn't he? Bonin says he kind of his head wasn't in the right space at the time. He he felt he was a bit more of a duty. So I think, you know, it depends on whose version you read of that. But I think it was essentially it was Bonin's decision. Therefore, is that a mistake? You know what I mean? Is that it seems that I, I don't imagine. I think Noel tried to say he he was asked to leave to have control of the situation. Um, whereas I see, I, I think potentially that you know Bonin actually left his own accord, and therefore that was essentially taken out of their hands. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that what's um, I think it is about the space, isn't it? I think when you hear about the like when you read it in 
Paolo's book, um, Forever the People, it was just so different and, and that be Hinato. And it kind of comes on to, to one of uh, the other points as well about they should have held back on the touring, uh, mm. especially touring America, because, you know, it, it was, you had this great rise and yeah, there was always arguments along the way, but generally, you know, they got through it, they got the gigs done, they didn't have fallings out and stuff. And then you suddenly then from having really sort of cracked the UK, cracked Japan, then it's like on the road for, for long slog tours of, for, to playing in front of, you know, small people, small venues that aren't interested, you know, and that's where I think the, the real, you know, just hours and hours on tour buses in America, cracks start to build up and problems start to come in and, and you know, you just annoy, you're going to annoy everyone. Bands always fall out on tour buses, you know, and especially when you've got, such volatile people as as oasis and with the brothers in the band so i think maybe if they hadn't toured as much you know if they just gave up on cracking america um you know after realizing look we're gonna we can do everything we need to do in the uk like just don't bother you know what i mean um because then you know a lot of the fallings out and a lot of the people leaving was about american tours was Noel walking off, Liam not going, you know, it did tend to be America. So, um, yeah, I mean, what, what do you think about that? Less touring, uh, less touring, and especially America, Katie? Yeah, but I also think, especially at that time, they were so huge in the UK. It, and when I think about the gap between the time that they finished Nebworth and the time that Be Here Now came out, um, it was like everyone was waiting for them to do something all that time. If they had, if they had used that time then, whilst they were on the high, to release the master plan, they wouldn't have needed to tour because they wouldn't need to tour the master plan because they were all B sides. It would have just given them extra time just to kind of ride out that high. Um, so yeah, they they could have like left off touring and got away with it as well for a good couple of years and then and then sort of continued i think yeah i think the 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 multitude of touring is a good point actually because they didn't do any kind of enormous enormous uk gigs for that they did like two arena tours in the space of six months in late 97 like they did Earls court and wembley arena and various other arenas in the uk but they didn't do any big outdoor gigs for that because i guess the way it kind of went but that, even then, that seems a lot. Do you know what I mean? They, they, they were perhaps at that point where they could have just done a, se- a sequence of big gigs mm. rather than, the, as you say, the, the, the huge legs of touring that they actually went to. Um, and obviously, as you say, in the States, you know, that, that, that kind of attitude to how they wanted, what they wanted to approach the States never really faltered. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps if they'd been a little bit more strategic about it and actually, you know, um, been a bit more sparse, you know, and, and perhaps not tour quite successfully because they, like I say, they didn't need to. So it's, yeah, it's an inter- interesting kind of thought there. It was there was no there was no kind of pre there was no kind of thinking ahead. I guess it was certainly not for the, for the well being of the band. It was more a case of well, let's just keep going. You know, similar to the attitude of the Morning Glory tour, keep going and keep going and keep going and, and you know ride it till the wheels come off mm. without any kind of thought ahead. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think uh, this was one of the, the great ones that came in. Uh, I'm not going to be able to find who it was. It was from Bonid's Fringe on Twitter, who said, uh, like, they should have curtailed the cocaine use. <laughs> I think, um, and a similar time, obviously, around this, uh, 
uh, Be Here Now time. And just, and just focusing on Be Here Now, I mean, most people do accept that it was just far too much cocaine that basically, you know, that, that made that album go a little bit out of control. You know, I personally love it. You know, I love the fact that it's, you know, that every song is like six minutes long and has 400 guitar tracks on it. I think that's great. But, you know, when you're sitting down, like, for instance, we've done tonight and listen to something like Champagne Supernova, you know, Champagne Supernova has these highs and lows and peaks and quieter moments and, you know, acoustic moments and things like this. Whereas then, you know, Be Here Now, even in tracks like Don't Go Away and Stand By Me, there's still like 27 guitar pieces and they, <laughs> they still are just pretty much full on the whole way. And you've got to wonder if that's, that's the white powder. So, so Katie, do you think, a bit less drugs, a bit more of a straight and all would have um, would have been a better thing in the mid nineties. I don't know, you know, because given what happened to Noel with all his panic attacks around the standing on the shoulder of giants era, if he'd been going through that at the time of Be Here Now, I don't know, it would have been a really different album. It, it might have been interesting. I don't know. It's a really difficult one. I definitely think. They took too many drugs. <laughs> but I don't, <laughs> whether or not they should have knocked it on the head sooner is another matter. I don't know. <laughs> mm. What do you reckon, Rick? Um, I was say, but then there's a lot to be said for standing on shoulder joints, isn't there? But anyway, that's, yeah. that's maybe a different argument. I think this is kind of the, 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 what I would say the mistake, their, their, their big mistake was, and it's tied in with this, is that yes, they should have knocked the drugs on the head but only by virtue of the fact that they could have just stripped a lot of Be Here Now away. Like, mm. strip a lot of the production levels away. Magic Pie doesn't need to be seven minutes. Do you know what I mean? That could, go, that could be a three-minute song and it'd be good. You know, um, It's Getting Better Man doesn't need to have the title of the song played on the outro <laughs> 33 times. But it's still, <laughs> it's still fundamentally a good song. I think is it actually 33? It is. Uh, yeah, I've counted it. <laughs> <laughs> great songs there uh, mm. arguably is as strong as they ever did um but they're just buried in, in, amongst production and bombast and excess but if you if you strip like go in a dirty shirt you know it's 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 six minutes it's a three minute pop song at yeah. its heart um and you know stand by me i i've I made this point quite a lot like stand by me's biggest problem is the fact that it's the it's the, the chorus the title repeated three times each time I mean, stand by me, nobody knows the way it's going to be. Well, it doesn't need to be that every time. It could build up to that. Yeah. But, it, but it's, it's, and that kind of, it's, it's the excess. If you were just, if there was a lot bit more quality control, I, I don't think it'd been the letdown that it is. I think there's nothing wrong with the songs. I just think they're just, they just could do with a lot more judicial editing, really. Mm. Yeah. But no, also, absolutely. 
that was also the year 97 both Noel and Liam got married wasn't it and I always feel like although the although the drugs are like named as a big part of it I do wonder if it was also because they were preoccupied with their domestic lives I know they were like living in London and um well they always they lived in London before but you know what I mean like they they suddenly like had all this money and were like setting up homes Mm. and um thinking about marriage and it felt like their attention wasn't so much on the music at that point yeah i think i think the royalties came in just before nebworth as well i think that's when they started to get the royalties come through and obviously as you say living in london with money in their pocket had its own distractions Mm. yeah and and i suppose that the the songs have run out so you know he t- the, the the amazing sort of back catalogue of songs that he'd written over the last sort of five years were gone now, and then they were having to come up with new songs. And you know, and where's he? You know, it's it's like the the boxer Marvin Hagler does the quote. It's like it's hard to get out and run at four in the morning when you've got silk bed sheets. Yeah. And, um, you know, and that's it. When you when you're sort of you you're really trying your best to get out of bed and and you know and uh, like make something of yourself when you know you're working for the gas board or whatever it's tough but then when you're you know chilling on mustique with johnny depp and, and, um, and yeah, Kate Moss, you know yeah. oh go on johnny you played league you know you play slide guitar on this one uh, yeah it's a little bit different a little bit different A bit less inspiring, I would imagine. Although probably in its own way, kick, kicking around on Mick Jagger's island or whatever. But um, but yeah, it's not, <laughs> it's not it's not quite it's not not particularly easy to relate, is it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, one of the things actually, it's it's uh, one that came up just as we were going through then doing a listing party. Um, and this is a it's it's I suppose you could say it's a mistake. I don't know if it comes from the fact of losing Bonehead and Gwigs and Andy and and Gem coming in. Um, but the fact that we had Diggsy's Dinner, we had Bonehead's Bank Holiday, we had these comedic songs. So many of the songs had little funny bits at the end, <clears throat> or they would, you know, there was jokey bits. And there was so much more humour in, in Oasis in the first couple of years. And that disappears, yeah. I think, with Andy and Gem coming in and the tension between Noel and Liam increasing so that they're not kind of in the studio as much together and they are sort of coming in and doing their stuff separately that just goes away. And I think that's why I kind of went off Oasis a lot in the 2000s is that I miss that. You know, I miss that. And whether that's from Bernard and Griggs not being there. And so it's not our gang of five anymore. You know, it's, it's, you know, two brilliant musicians and then obviously Y.E. And, and then the other drummers that came, but you know, it, it just wasn't there anymore. It wasn't that, that fun and atmosphere of these are my guys. This is my team, you know, cause it wasn't anymore. But, um, what do you reckon, Rich? Yeah, it's this, this the classic rock and roll gang thing, isn't it? I think it, it's the, all, all the argument goes, yeah, all great rock and roll bands are gangs that are, are exclusive little gangs that, that only you can enter. And once you kind of break that, 
aligned with the fact they're a, the biggest one of the biggest brands in the world or whatever and, and so successful yeah I, I yeah I, I take that point and it kind of ties in with you know Bonehead, Bonehead being the spirit of the band they, they were a lot uh, less impromptu I mean look like you know they didn't demo anything on, on Morning Glory apart from some might say but that's outrageous when you consider what <laughs> what when you consider what an album it is and you know it's still in the top five biggest British selling albums of all time and, and you Noel wouldn't do that now do you know well okay he does that now because he was in the studio but Ten years later, he wouldn't have done it. He was he was very much of the basically have the finished song, then take it to the studio, you know, and probably demoed to within an inch of his life. It was a lot, yeah, they were a lot less freer once Andy and Gem joined. I suppose maybe by by virtue of how experienced they were as musicians and you know perhaps age as well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's yeah, it, it did it, it yeah it did lose the the spirit as it as it was as it were. But then I think that's that kind of happens a lot really. Yeah, what do you reckon, Katie? I think I think that's definitely true because you you can see it even now when Bonehead joins Liam on stage, something changes. There's something about Boneheads, <laughs> um, and and you see that friendship that they've got, and it just brings something back. It's like a little um, reminder of, oh yeah, that's that's how it was. That's yeah. like that's yeah. what's missing. Um, I definitely feel like that friendship gang thing that you're talking about is, um, it, you know, he embodies that. And it's like, they'll always have that bond, whether, whether Bonehead's like in the band or not, the friendship is still there, which, you know, makes it kind of special. Mm. So do you think though on, with that, that they shouldn't have, carried on then without with Andy and Gem or like it because I mean like it's 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 one that we did before Richard was that sort of what was the ultimate oasis lineup when we were at the uh mm-hmm. water rats with Carmai Say wasn't it and we were sort of yeah. we're having that same debate um you know I suppose that's the thing it wasn't the same after those guys left but actually you know, like George Harrison says, all things must pass. And, and you sort of accept that, right, well, that's as far as that lineup could have gone. Similar to Tony, like that was probably as far as he could have gone. Um, mm-hmm. Time to move on from that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one because we, we obviously will never know, but it's it's hard to see Bonehead and Gwigs fitting into the more sombre stuff on Samuel the Shoulder Giants Heathen Chemistry and Don't Believe the Truth not so much because Heathen Chemistry I think is channels the same kind of spirit as Morning Glory but it's, it's hard to see yeah, yeah yeah it's hard to see them fitting into where Noel's headspace was around 99-2000 anyway mm. um, yeah mm-hmm. mm. alright how about um, it's all been quite sad, hasn't it? I don't know if it's because this that discussion. It's probably not for us, isn't it? <laughs> I know, I know. Let's let's liven it up a little bit, right? Should have held back master plan, or like this is. I think this is the big one. This is the one that most people came back with. Um, so let's just see. Well, loads of people came back and basically said this. Um, Matt, who's at, at Matt seven nine one two three three two, Oasis' big, biggest mistake was the B sides being the B sides. Um, well, I suppose it's like the B sides being held back for that, but then also track listing in general. You know, pretty much every album, it feels like you know they got the track listing wrong. 
um, Magic Pie being on um, Be Here Now, uh, you know, li Little James being on Standing on the Shoulder of Giants and not Let's All Make Believe, or there's so many of them. I mean, well, the whole definitely maybe reassembled and we're going to do Morning Glory reassembled. But I mean, uh, Katie, what do you reckon, like, is especially focusing on that whole like master plan holding back those songs or chucking out those songs should they have held back those songs would that have would that have made a difference would it have made things better or is the whole way it unfolded with the legend of oasis having these amazing b-sides yeah. is that does that override with the possible benefit of having had those songs available for a third immense album yeah i think it overrides it because um the thing that was making Oasis so special was like this secret that all the fans knew how great these B-sides were. And then you would get those cigarette boxes and find them like the, the silver and the gold cigarette boxes wouldn't have existed or well, they might have done, but they wouldn't have had those gems in them. Mm. And then, and then that wouldn't have built up their fan base and there wouldn't be that kind of feeling of like, Oh my God, this, this band are incredible um having said that like they would have got there if the, if the album was released later but i would have actually swapped out um a couple of the songs i would have definitely put um i would have taken away going nowhere and stay young so i'd have taken away the be here now b sides and i'd have put take me away and half the world away in so that if they released that before Be Here Now, it would um, it would contain pretty much all the B-sides apart from a few. Um, okay, I get you. I get you. So hmm. it would have been a, a purely, definitely maybe Morning Glory era yeah. um, album of B-sides. And then maybe have done a, a Master Plan Part 2 or something with the... Yeah. The Be Here Now era B sides. That's interesting because yeah. I, I saw there was the, the, like a, a someone asked me today, uh, I think a, a couple of days ago on Twitter about, well, why why was Round Our Way not on the master plan? I mean, that that for me feels like the biggest e exclusion, not just because it's one of my favorite songs, but because it was such an important song in the Oasis story, you know, having done it live at like the biggest shows and on the MTV Unplugged and on various TV performances. It's one of their biggest songs have got so much exposure and yet it doesn't go on the b-sides album which is just mad and yeah i get that's that if, if you're not including those later ones then then there would have maybe been space for that go on rich i was gonna say but then that's the most wasted thing ever isn't it on a compilation album <laughs> not including what is regarded as one of their best songs again <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was saying about that actually that is an interesting one like why why wasn't it i mean the only things i can think someone came back and said maybe they just didn't want everything from the wonderwall single on there because the other um what was it swamp song and master plan are both on there as well so you didn't want the entire wonderwall single on there um i 
I know that they they kind of said it was a public vote, and then Noel kind of overrode it and sort of chucked his favourites on there. But you would have thought that Round Our Way would have been one of Noel's favourites. I just would have assumed that. The only thing I can think is because it's long. I think Round Our Way is about six minutes. Maybe when they were looking at the track listing, if they think, right, well, if we drop Round Our Way, we could maybe include two shorter tracks. I know they knocked um, a chunk of the guitar solo off of Listen Up as well, didn't they? So so maybe yeah. they were looking at the timings of it. I don't know if it could be that. I don't know what you guys reckon. Yeah, they were, and they faded out on the wars as well, didn't they? That was trimmed quite a bit. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, that is a bit of an odd one. But then that argument immediately about not having all the Wonderwall tracks on there doesn't work because all the cigarettes and alcohol and some might say ones are on there so, <laughs> okay forget um, that one then <laughs> yeah sorry, sorry to whoever that guy was um but but um i i, I said it on twitter earlier on I, I i just don't think he's where noel's head was at really i think he that's i think he kind of regarded that possibly as a big party song um and you know it's, it's a little bit a little bit a little bit lads anthem isn't it i guess and i think again noel had kind of gone a little bit beyond that by 98 possibly post come down i think he you know they basically you know they they just owned cheese electric for a while as well didn't they dixie's dinner it's kind of in that mold um and it's yeah I, I, yeah but you're, you're right it seems a, it seems a weird omission um they're, they're probably maybe just down to the fact that they had they, they had a limit of 14 songs and something had to go maybe it's just as simple as that i don't know yeah. i have a question do you reckon if um, if Be Here Now had received, I mean, if it had ended up being absolutely brilliant and it surpassed all expectations and it was like better than Morning Glory and everything, do you reckon they would have even released the master plan? They might not have even needed to. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, they always, well, they, had, they, they always had those songs, didn't they? Then so... You know, it's it's a good way of of creation, just making more money. Basically, was getting a getting a B sides album out. And, you know, bands do do B sides and rarities, but it it, is, it did seem early in the career. Um, but yeah, that's I've I've never thought it's, about that. That's yeah. a good yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the official reasoning was that, that the singles were hard to get in international markets, right. so they put together they, they obviously obviously it was fine in the UK, but they put together a compilation album primarily for America and other places i think that was the that was the official reasoning behind it but it's a good point mm. it's 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 yeah had they not might there been a bit of course correction releasing that album mm. maybe mm. sort of reminding yeah. people remember we had these amazing yeah, songs yeah. as well you might have yeah. you might have thought being was a disappointment but remember master plan remember Aquarius? yeah yeah if, if, um, i'll just if i can just like go back to the, the, the original question i think as Katie absolutely says, one of the beauty about being an Oasis fan was was knowing the B sides were there. But I also think people going back and rediscovering the B sides once they in in '96, once they like absolutely rinsed Morning Glory and definitely maybe then had the B sides to go to. I think that sustained a lot of momentum for them. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the 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 chance for people to go and, to go and rediscover these tracks. Um, so I, I I think that's actually the bit you know it's it's the classic. Noel's biggest regret and McGree's biggest regret is that you know they didn't hold the songs back. But I think those songs actually played a big part in the mythology um, to to Joe to Joe Public as well as to us. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's like it's like McGee said on the interview with me. He was like, you know, but we thought they were never going to stop. You know, we thought <laughs> yeah. they was going to keep doing these. You know, keep knocking them out. It didn't matter. You know that that you just wouldn't think about holding it back because it would just be 
there'd be another 10 master plans and acquiesces like mm -hmm. next week. So, mm -hmm. you know, it just didn't, didn't quite play out like that. Mm -hmm. um, Katie, you got anything specifically that we haven't touched upon or should I go into the, the, some of the Twitter responses? Um, one of the things I've always thought is just that um, standing on the shoulder of giants should have started with let's all make believe. That's, that's something that I really feel strongly just um, because, because of the timing of it and everyone knew where they were at and it, yeah, I just, I feel like that would have been a good album opener. opener. it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That would be a bold album opener. I mean, yeah, like mm -hmm. they always tend to kick off with big songs don't they like with big bouncy upbeat songs but yeah that would have been a very interesting one to open an album with i'd never thought of that that would have been mm. a bold move it really would have set the tone for the album wow mm. what do you reckon rich yeah absolutely i mean i think it would have been a real kind of line in the sand and mm. yeah usually bold but very interesting um i suppose similar to what um blur did with Be beetle bum you know this yeah. things mm. are different now yeah, essentially would have been that kind of line in the sand but yeah i don't think they would ever have done it because they're too brazen for that but yeah it's yeah. not it's a very good idea nice idea yeah mm, there you go that, that you should have been in there Katie. <laughs> yeah i should, should have, have been, been there directing them <laughs> telling noel off in the background <laughs> come on noel um all right what have we got then we've got matt said mistaking meth for cocaine was a big mistake yeah that was a quite a big mistake uh at the whiskey a go go uh charlie c who is at devil's refugee said should have kept whitey not have a load of different drummers um that's mm. interesting i i think you you're more of a no it was it was the right time to move on aren't you rich on the alan white side no uh, i think uh, I, I still think he was their best drummer but he's he very quickly, and whether this was Noel's musical direction, I don't know, but he, he, I think his, his drumming on Morning Glory is so good, and then it does, he does settle into quite quite a rhythm. It's quite formulaic, and yeah, the, the, he's, he, he loses the pizzazz he has on on Morning Glory. Yeah. Um, but that said, I still think he's their best drummer. So, I think yeah, if you could have had the, the Alan White on the form he was on Morning Glory. From Heathen Chemistry, uh, uh, don't be the truth there on, yes, but actually, yeah, he did get quite um, staid and quite, I don't want to say uninspiring, but mm. functional, I guess. Bit samey, yeah. Um, I think on part of the queue, you know, because like people are quite slate um, Zach Starkey, 
but actually, and I've, I've sort of said it, so many of, a lot of the later songs have just got that kind of stomp to them. You know, that Lila kind of do, 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 or mucky fingers or force of nature, just got stomp. Whereas um, part of the cue I was listening to earlier, that's amazing. The drumming on that, I'd love to hear yeah. that isolated because that's all mm -hmm. over the place. That's really um, impressive. Yeah, what do you reckon, Katie? Would uh, drummer-wise keep Alan, ditch yeah. Alan for Gim, uh, for Zach, and then Chris? I, I would have really liked Noel to have done more drumming, like he did on Half the World Away. I think it would have been so cool and unique, like just something little extra to know that Noel's done some drumming on some tracks. Mm. Um, because everyone says, you know, he's actually a good drummer, but we we haven't seen much of him on the drums so I, I just yeah i would have liked him to do some drumming <laughs> he, he, he was on he plays drums on soldier on i know that soldier on. Okay. and on don't believe the truth they're, they're generally quite they don't know who played what they kind of they keep it quite ambiguous but i think probably it was it was zach but right. um yeah i yeah, don't think might... noel could have played part of the queue that's part exactly no. for him yeah no. he, um but then you said but then his, his stuff with with tail gunner is quite um basic if, yeah. if i'm being polite um uh but yeah i think yeah it, uh, this yeah interesting but yeah i think he's he's he seems to be a bit more around musician in terms of standing on the shoulder giants i know alan white was quite annoyed about the use of loops and how much yes. the use, use yeah, of loops yeah. so it might it might have been some crossover there possibly i don't know mm -hmm. they could have got goldie in <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, they've got that one moment of a scratch at the start of Go Little Out, and it's like, okay, that's that's it. That's our kind of you know nod to hip hop. When you could yeah. have gone a bit more full on on that album. Um, what have we got? James Freestone said, "Not sure about should have just been Noel writing the songs. I think Noel should have encouraged more songwriting of Gam, Andy, and Liam. Uh, biggest mm -hmm. mistake, definitely throwing such great B sides on the first eight singles. Plus, should have had a two year break after Nebworth." Elliot Marsh said, no matter what the lineup changes, I think their biggest mistake was the lack of Noel written Liam sung songs on later albums. Ah, this was the point we made. The winning ticket ignored. There's only a couple on each of the later albums. Even Chemistry 3, Don't Believe the Truth, 1.5. Dig Out Your Soul, 3. Uh, Matt said, Oasis' biggest mistake with the B-sides being the B-sides. Wayne Howarth said, shouldn't have gone to the US after Nebworth and released the first single from Be Here Now. Um, ah, this is one that often comes up as a mistake. I think McGee said this. I think they they really did think they screwed up the singles in America with the fact that like putting out I Hope I Think I Know as a radio only single and things like that. It just seemed as such a strange kind of choice. You know, I think they were trying to appeal to the probably the college radio market or something, but I just think generally the whole American promotional push just they buggered it up, basically, by the sounds of it. <laughs> Putting Magic Pie on Be Here Now, we've got from My Finest Hour, one, two, three. Um, Andrew Middleton said, never mind that. My biggest, my biggest regret is going to uh, NUFC. Who's that? 
Newcastle. Newcastle versus Man U Charity Shield on the Sunday, Shearer's first game, getting beat 4-0 and getting stuck in Nebworth traffic. That was a painful journey home. Uh, okay, <laughs> thanks. Um, what else have we got? Uh, ah, okay, we haven't talked about 2009. Hub at Hub281997 said, maybe too busy and epic 2009 touring schedule. Maybe they should have let Noel go solo in 2007, 2008. I think that's a really good point. So 2009 was a very, very busy time. And generally, I think from the sounds of it, it was just pretty unpleasant and they weren't talking to each other. Like when he interviewed the guy from Sergeant, he just said they just weren't in the same room as each other ever. You know, it just, that was just how it was. Um, so I think, and, and I think while some people have been really positive about those gigs that often you hear that, and obviously I didn't see them on that tour, but you know, that there was that air of negativity around it. So um, yeah, should they have, should they have, you know, Noel gone solo earlier or just done less on that 2009 tour? Would that have saved it? Um, Rich, what do you reckon? Um, yeah, I mean, I posted a reply on this. I, I, it might have saved it, but um, I, 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 I think it was very much intended to be a victory, victory lap from the outset. No, I think he had a, I think he had his bag packed quite early on, um, around about the dig out his soul stuff. Uh, I, I think, but then I think a part of the reason the bands that, that, that Noel left was good because Liam didn't want Noel to go solo. I think if 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 Liam had been, been a bit more agreeable about that, then they might even still be going today, you know, maybe releasing an album every five years, like, you know, like Radiohead do, mm. you know, uh, every, every five years, Noel does what he's got to do. Liam does whatever. And they come back and they release an astonishing album. But Liam was so profusely adamant that he, that Noel wouldn't be allowed to do anything solo right from the very start, you know, right from definitely maybe so he, he was so against that idea. But I think that eventually reached its breaking point. You know, Noel, I think, I, I don't think Noel would have left the race if he could have done a solo album. So therefore, I think you actually have to put a lot of the blame at Liam's door there, really. Um, Interesting. But that, but that, in terms of that tour, yeah, it was very busy. But like I say, I think it was a bit of a victory lap. I think um, Noel's kind of—I mean, it was, yeah, it was a huge stadium tour, quite lengthy. It wasn't particularly lengthy, but it's only ticked a lot of the boxes in terms of where they went. Um, so yeah, I don't think it was necessarily too busy, but it was—I mean, it was a bit of a cursed tour as well. But um, yeah, I think it was. Um, yeah, uh, like like I say, I think it was a final hurrah anyway. So I don't think that actually had a bearing on the band as a whole. Sure. Okay. And then, um, yeah, Katie, one of the points that Ian Armstrong, our friend Ian from the Oasis Tribute Band Columbia, he sort of said similar to that, that um, not putting a release of Dig Out Your Soul back after Noel was attacked. So you have to remember, yeah, he was quite badly hurt in that attack in, in uh, Vancouver, Toronto? Vancouver, mm-hmm. I think. Um yeah so that's a very good point you sort of forget about that but yeah that was massive and uh yeah so what do you reckon katie generally about that point around the 2008-2009 could it have been salvaged um i i think what richard just said before was really interesting about the dynamic between liam and noel like the the thought that it was liam not wanting noel to go solo it kind of the impression that we always have is that Noel just will do what he wants and I think that's that's intriguing that he couldn't leave because Liam didn't want him to it just says something different about their relationship but I think in that period 2006 2007 when Noel did the solo talk um 
what was that um, acoustic tour he did with Ken? Yeah, um, the Terry Yeah, I found, I remember that period when he stripped back all those B-sides for the first time. It's like he brought a new magic to those songs. Mm. I do remember then thinking, wouldn't it be great if Noel just went off and did this? I, I remember thinking that at the time, and I think that could have been a good moment for him to have done that. Basically, he mentioned it throughout the whole, the whole from 2000 onwards, he was always flirting with the idea. But it, it never quite panned out. And I think, like I say, Liam was so profusely against it that I think Noel eventually kind of each time decided, is it worth the hassle of doing this? Mm, yeah. I see. I, I hadn't really followed that very much about the whole uh, Liam like refusing Noel to do a solo album, basically. But no, that is interesting. What... Yeah, what what does that say about the relationship? If like, what was like Liam holding over him? Surely, like Noel, if he wanted to do it, he could have done it. Like, what what could have? Yeah, I don't know. Interesting, isn't it? Hmm. Mm, all right. Well, um, I think we'll we can call it a day there, seeing as it's now tomorrow. Um, <laughs> but guys, thank you so much for your time this evening. I think it's been a really interesting topic. I'd love for people to get involved and um, come back and let me know if what you think. Oasis biggest mistakes were or regrets or things they could have done differently or are you on the boat of you know look it, it was what it was it played out you know there's no there's no point in looking back because all you see is more and more junk to quote a different band um, I suppose it would have been easy to say don't look back in anger wouldn't it that would have made sense yeah. that, that should have probably been the name of this the whole episode but there you go <laughs> all right well um Guys, thank you so much for Katie. Um, where can the people find you online if they want to and what's going on with you right now? Oh, gosh. Um, okay, so if you want to follow me, just me talking about Oasis, <laughs> just follow <laughs> me at Cat, um, Cat and Moose. Um, and if um, that's Cat with a K. If you um, want to follow my podcast, I don't know how you feel about me talking about my podcast on your podcast. So nope, don't worry I if love you want to. <laughs> um, if you want to follow that, it's at Sound Effects. Actually, is it? Um, I don't even know my own. <laughs> <laughs> the Sound Effects Podcast. Uh, yeah, Sound Effects Pod. Yeah, it's at Sound Effects Pod. Um, yeah. Sound Effects with an A as named by james <laughs> yeah i'll take that um one. yeah and you wanted um, to call it head shrinker didn't you yeah i did <laughs> i wanted to call it head shrinker <laughs> i thought it would be some sort of weird like african voodoo podcast <laughs> <laughs> like that little guy from beetlejuice you know with the shrunken head but anyway <laughs> Uh, yeah, you can you can find me there as well, um, and um, you can also keep listening to the episode I did with James on there, um, which um, you're doing really well, James, on there compared Am to. I? Yeah. Have I beaten Alan McGee um, yet? 
Yeah, you had you beat him a yes. long time ago. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just double Go check. You might have even. Oh, you've you've got more than Jess Greenfield as well. Oh wow! There we go. Oh, that was great with Jess Greenfield, by the way. That was really good. Oh, yeah, that was really good. Because yeah, because that's the thing. Mine just tend to be like, huh? So uh, yeah, let's talk about like what's it like with Noel and stuff. Whereas like I just randomly chat to people. Whereas you actually ask questions. I'm like, oh, maybe I could actually think of writing questions and asking them. That might be a good idea. (laughs) Nah. What was really good about that? It was it was genuinely felt like a therapy session. Like mm. you, you felt like you, I mean, felt like you were actually listening to a session between the three of you. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. They they were kind of having they were working things out between each other live. Yeah, yeah. I was quite amazed at how willing they were to do that. I think mm. they forgot um, they forgot that it was an interview, um, but then they were okay. I, I was. Yeah, I was really grateful that they were okay with um, that being out. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it was quite moving, wasn't it? I thought they were quite a moving couple. Yeah, but similar with McGee as well. I mean, you you got McGee talking about stuff I've never heard him talk about before, you know, and I've, I've done these, like, live interviews with him as well. And, you know, he was sort of going into all kinds of stuff about, like, his diet and, you know, and, mm. and thinking, like, <laughs> wow, like, this is just not what you... I've never heard Alan McGee talking that much detail about, like, his bowel problems, you know yeah. I mean? <laughs> yeah, I didn't... I also didn't expect him to say that he was um, flirting with the idea of being a therapist as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was interesting yeah um yes but no so that's that's great so everyone make sure you're checking out katie on uh, on that podcast and yeah you can listen to one with me if you want um uh, i do like almost cry quite a number of times as well, actually as, as as someone who has been on the other end of the katie georgiou interview style when i'm sat there like holding it in you can hear every time i say but that means a lot that's because that's that's my way of sort of like getting out of the out of the question like before I start just like breaking down and bawling so yeah so well done for that that's why <laughs> I want to I want to get in a room with Liam and Noel you see that's what I want to be able to do I want to get them together and um and get need. them to cry get them to cry in front of each other <laughs> you put them in a the room at the moment they'd be crying but it would be like crying having like both beaten the shit out of each other for 20 minutes yeah. Yeah, that's what we need and um, richard what about yourself you haven't got a podcast yet have you i haven't got a podcast yet no i'm just a i'm, I'm just a crowbar myself into yours um but uh, <laughs> i've got i've got a, done myself a website that went live this week um richardbows.com it's got all my collected works if that doesn't sound like a <laughs> Um, and I don't know if you've heard I've got a book coming out <laughs> you, might, you might not have heard about it um, yeah obviously we all know about that uh, but what's yeah. the latest where is it where, where physically is it as a what, for the, just gone midnight on the 5th of April What's the, where is it because I haven't had mine yet well I was going to say your copy is uh, on its way to me I should get it on Monday so I can then send it to you this week I believe it will be I believe they have now have the copies. I've done all the signings, so I think it should be, hopefully, with with the purchasers by the time this podcast comes out. Hey. So did you have, you had a, a postie come and deliver you 150 books to your house? Um, 
Not exactly. Uh, I won't shatter any illusions. I'll, I'll tell you offline, but that's not exactly what happened. But um, yeah, the, the signings have been done, put it that way. Okay, all right, fair enough. Um, but yeah, they, they've been, I got the sample copy last week, and yeah, they, apparently they were delayed by a day. But um, yeah, I've got a notification saying I'm getting my 10 copies this week, and then yeah, it should be distributed in the next few days, and then it's uh. Then I'm going to go off Twitter for for a good month or so, I think. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh God, yeah. So anyway, so people can get hold of that if you hit the uh, link in the description of this episode. It's available from this day in music books, and it's available from the Waterstones website and the Amazon and various other places as well. So, um, and I would love to actually be going out there and doing launch parties, which we were planning. Um, and some really interesting ones. We're talking about lots of different interesting venues, but obviously can't do that because we're in lockdown. But rest assured, as soon as this thing lifts, we're booking some massive ones, massive uh, live shows and launch parties because we've just got to get back out there again and and see everyone and, and yeah, celebrate this great band and, and the great book uh, that Richard has written. So all good. There's one, there's one quite exciting one in the offering, isn't there, James? Yes, yeah, the, yeah, with a big, a big, um, uh, a big name in Oasis history, uh, like a venue, a big venue in Oasis history. But yeah, and um, yeah, we really want to make that happen. So uh, yeah, but but as I say, we're always happy to get out there and come out and see you. And whether you want us to bring Tony McCarroll or Alan McGee or get a different person, like we're talking about Digsy, we're talking about Brian Cannon talking about loads of people um so yeah we can come out and do those or we'll just come along and do and have a night and have a meet up and have a beer and say bloody hell can you believe that whole coronavirus thing oh i'm so glad that's over i just want that's i want to just focus on being at that the other side of it right now that's where we need to be but um all right guys thank you so much for your time this evening thank you it's greatly appreciated With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That Don't Look Back at Angus one was pretty good, isn't it? I think that could be something. Um, so thank you very much to Katie and to Richard. Brilliant stuff. Just to say, obviously, the book is out now. I know we were talking about that back in the uh, 6th of April. Seems like a long time ago. Um, but yeah, the book is out now. It's done really well. Uh, if you want to get hold of it, then you can do. And uh, yeah, it's really good. And just to clarify a couple of points, there was an extra two points that we discussed that didn't end up recording. One was about 
should Noel have written all the songs? And one was, should Liam have sung all the songs? So a couple of those questions came up then on Twitter uh, at the end, and we just kind of fudged through them. We'd already talked about it, but unfortunately it didn't record properly. So, but uh, anyway, no big deal. We still got about an hour of stuff there, which was cool. Right, let's nip over now to our good friend, uh, Jake Cook. Uh, This is from my conversation with Jake on the Don't Start a Band podcast. If you want to hear the rest of it, then uh, you can hit the link in the description. And also I'm going to be putting another chunk of it on an upcoming Patreon episode. So here is me and Jake. Being from uh, the United States and especially getting into Oasis so recently, it's uh, it's kind of hard to find, uh, you know, people in my circle of friends and even in the Denver music scene who are into Oasis. So listening to your podcast and getting to hear... Um, you know, a lot of people who were actually there to see them when they were still touring and everything and just being a part of the culture because, um, you know, obviously I've watched Supersonic and I've watched just about everything I can find on YouTube that's documentary-esque. <laughs> and uh, it seems like it just really warped the the culture over there and it doesn't seem like it really did that in uh, the United States as much. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. We were having a bit of a debate uh, on Twitter about, like, how big did they get in America? And it's funny because, you know, obviously Wonderwall was massive over there. And then Don't Look Back in Anger and Champagne Supernova, you know, was still quite big, but not massive. But they, yeah. you know, they played the MTV Awards. They did MTV Unplugged. Like, they did Letterman. And they did... So they did you know they did enough they were a big name but i remember at the time like hootie and the blowfish were massive like bush were massive like these other bands Mm -hmm. that the funny thing about bush was of course gavin rossdale's english and so whenever a british band would would kind of make it in the states it was always like oasis are going to go and try and take on america but bush were like the biggest band in america like you know with nirvana having having gone away and so it's like uh, so Gavin Rosto's going, guys, hello, like I'm here. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah, no, whatever. You're not a British band. You know, it's it's like, uh, you know, it was really going for those sort of traditional kind of British bands, not ones that sounded like Americans. But uh, yeah, so it's interesting. I think they were big, but they didn't, like you say, have that cultural impact like they did over here where it was just, you know, everyone knew them and had an opinion on them. Oh yeah, definitely. And I uh I purchased the Lord Don't Slow Me Down uh DVD oh, yeah. recently and it has that whole uh section in that documentary where they're playing at Red Rocks, which is in Colorado where I'm from and uh you know, I would probably give a lot to have been at that show hmm. in 2006 cuz I mean you know, the brothers were probably still 
getting along to an extent, I guess. But uh, sure. yeah, just it looked like it was a a crazy good show, and so they must have been you know doing okay if they were playing Red Rocks. Yeah, I mean it was interesting. They they never did stadiums in America. They did. Um, MSG and they did like uh, Tweeter Center Philadelphia and like these are all like nineteen twenty thousand um, and arenas. Madison Square Garden. Yeah, exactly. So so they did they did decent size arenas, um, and then they did like you know the the like festivals and things and were quite high up on festivals. But but you know they they were one of those bands that you know came and went um, as far as you know as far as the Americans were concerned. They they came back and they continued to be a big band but they never had that same level of success they did in kind of 1995-96 again and and really I think a lot of it is that they didn't play the game uh, mm-hmm. they were never willing to like Coldplay and U2 and stuff these guys cracked America properly because they were willing to do the radio shows and the you know the meet and greets with the record company people and all this sort of stuff Oasis were never going to do that. You know, they just didn't have the temperament. <laughs> and so, you know, so they they did pretty well. But, you know, like, you know, their big chances, MTV Unplugged, the singer doesn't turn up. I mean, who, who else? Yeah. And, well, and actually stands from the side and throws things and heckles. That wouldn't happen to another band. You know what I mean? With no. Radiohead... Radiohead, like Tom York's not just going to turn up and then shout abuse as, you know, Ed O'Brien takes over on lead vocals. It's just, it would never happen. But Oasis did because they, that was just, you know, they still had that punk rock about them. But, but it, so it was cool, but it meant that they didn't reach those heights of longevity in the, in the States that, you know, bands that really pushed it and, and, uh, you know, and, and did and played the game. Yeah. Yeah. I would, agree completely and it almost i mean if you look at the timeline it's almost like oasis did their thing they had wonderwall and you know everything else off of uh what's the story morning glory and then after that it seems like they got traded out for green day and blink 182 and uh you know all the other grunge bands of the 90s pearl jam mm. um Speaking of Nirvana, though, I just love that story that uh, Noel tells about uh, Live Forever when he's talking about how Kurt Cobain wrote the song that, uh, what was it called? I Hate Myself and I Want to Die. And he was like, I wasn't having none of that shit. (laughs) That is the best reply to a song ever. Hmm. Yeah, it's I don't know if it's true. I mean, he says that, yeah. whether or not that was the case at the time, you know, because he wrote that song while he was, you know, um, you know, on, on the dole that we call it here on, you know, was it when you haven't got a job? Yeah, you know, he had a, you know, he wrote a load of those songs in that situation. So whether he was saying, I'll take you on, Kurt Cobain. Yeah, I think it's probably an aftertimer kind of he's, he's put that on it later. But it's still a lovely it is a lovely riposte. And generally, you know, that was the that was the big difference. You know, Oasis the way they reacted to fame was not the indie rock way to react to fame. It was much more of the hip hop way to react to fame. It you was know the way amazing. That when, well, you know the way rap stars, when they get big, they get the gold chains and they, they are happy to flaunt their wealth, right? Whereas yeah. when indie rock stars get big, they want to play that down. They wear scruffier clothes and they talk about not selling out. And 
Oasis didn't care. They were they were here to sell out, and they were here to say, "Yeah, I've bought a Rolls Royce. Yeah, I've sold ninety six million albums." You know, and and they were happy to do that. And that's part of you know that's part of what endeared them to us. And it was because they were they were working class, because they were similar to rap stars. You know what I mean? That they yeah. they were kind of from the streets, and so they had that attitude. Yeah, Rolls Royce with no driver's license. That's <laughs> the best part of the whole thing. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yeah. No, absolutely. And uh, one thing I kind of wanted to piggyback onto that, um, one thing I was a little nervous to bring up, but I, uh, my guilty pleasure band is the Grateful Dead. And okay. one thing that I have found fascinating about your podcasts and about uh, – especially like a lot of the people that do the A to Z and, uh, you know, just everybody who has seen them live. Um, it reminds me of the people who recorded Grateful Dead shows. Um, I don't know if you know much about that, but they had this whole, you know, fan base that would show up and basically record every single show. And then the fans would, mm trade tapes and stuff and you know there was people who would say yeah the best time they ever played this song was this year at this venue and sure you know they kind of geek out about it but it's really cool to hear uh you know oasis fans kind of do the same thing and say you know the best time they played acquiesce was live by the sea or whatever you know what i mean Mm. Yeah, no, it is interesting, and and it's we're lucky that they they kind of fell in that point where um, you know it was pre-internet, so it wasn't well pretty much you know in the early in the early years, um, so it wasn't like you know it was it was sort of at the time there was kind of a, a you know message board culture, yeah, excuse me, so so bootleg CDs and bootleg audio was being shared on message boards, but it's not like today. You know, mm-hmm. where, um, I mean, like when Liam did his comeback gig, you know, there was thousands of people, you know, were, were sort of live live streaming it on Periscope or Facebook or whatever, um, you know, and, and that you could just sit and watch it, um, <clears throat> you know, and then, and then the audio can be shared so quickly and easily. It wasn't the same. I mean, we, we did an episode recently about the bootleg culture over here, and I suppose it was kind of... Yeah, I I have heard about that about the Grateful Dead. That was almost like the the beginning of that kind of bootleg culture because they had such a dedicated fan base. Whereas you didn't really have like like with the Beatles and stuff. It was just too too early. Like you would have had, um, yeah, some people did record. There are some kind of acetates from early Beatles gigs, but not really. I think it is when you get into the sort of late sixties, seventies that that does become a bigger thing. But um, yeah, whereas then by the time you get to Oasis in the nineties, then yeah, it is easier to get hold of these soundboards and um, really good quality bootlegs that were then, you know, created into these CDs and quite good quality packages. And then you could buy them, you know, on market stalls and you could buy them in in sort of independent record shops um, that, you know, yeah, they're illegal. You know, this is not official merchandise, but yeah. um, they were pretty decent quality. And, uh, and it really was like a, an exciting thing of like, oh, I've got this and... Um, especially with with Oasis, the fact that they did so many kind of cool radio sessions, and that the fact that they did had like you know these B sides and um, alternate versions as well started sneaking out. Um, that there was all this extra stuff available to be traded, 
but it's really a demonstration of how loved they were and how obsessed the fans were that that stuff was so valued you know i don't there was no other bands really you'd occasionally see a blur one or an ocean color scene one or whatever but it was only really oasis that you know that that really you know that, that people were that bothered about yeah and i uh i listened to uh the episode i'm pretty sure i i'm positive i listened to the episode about the bootlegs and uh the b-sides and everything and that's what's cool about you know i started really getting into oasis in like 2017 um so it's it's cool to have that whole back catalog and be able to you know get the deluxe versions of uh you know definitely maybe and what's the story and be able to hear all the b-sides the good live recordings and all that stuff i would have liked to have you know been there for it but it's cool that i can go back and listen to it all at once you know Hmm. and and seeing liam is the closest thing so like next time um you know next time liam comes back when this whole fucking nightmare's over like you know seeing liam is a very close second you know because he he puts on a hell of a show he plays a lot of oasis songs um you know so it is as close as you'll get really uh the 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 atmosphere i mean you really if you can get over here and see and see a liam gallagher show that's what you want because it's really is there's nothing like it like um you know it was like football you know it's there's other gigs that are crazy but you don't get the same, you know, like, I know, like, rock gigs. It's just a different atmosphere. You know, when you've got, like, people, you know, that's more that um, kind of slamming and moshing and stuff that, that American rock and punk shows have. It's just different. With It's yeah. more of a football thing. It's more of, like, football, like, lads together on a football, uh, you know, on a football terrace. And there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Yeah, I mean, I've uh, I've watched the videos and certainly, like, my favorite one of my favorite videos of all time and i've i've showed this to my wife and i've showed it to a bunch of people because it sets the standard of what i would like to accomplish with my band but it's uh it's the video i think they're in brazil i can't remember but uh they uh they were playing morning glory and you just see the whole crowd in this stadium. It's like a wave of them, you know, jumping up and down. And when Liam comes in with the first, uh, all your dreams are made, you can barely even hear him because the roar of the crowd is so loud. So yeah, yeah, that, uh, that sets a, a high standard for what I would like to accomplish. But in your opinion, do you think, anything like that can happen again with you know now we have live streams and youtube and um personally it kind of looks like people don't attend concerts as much anymore but uh what's your take on that i think there's the it's interesting i mean over here um you know there's there's a a passion for music still is huge um, and you're starting to see now a new generation of young fans of Oasis coming through. There mm-hmm. was kind of a period 
because they weren't cool in the 2000s, right? They they sort of dropped off um, the radar and the success level. At the, in the 2000s, they were like, you know, Coldplay were far bigger than them. You know, there was other bands that would outsell them. Yeah. Um, you know, and they were, you know, if they were going to head, if they played a festival, they'd probably headline it. But it was more on the, you know, on the nostalgia factor, like the Rolling yeah. Stones. It was more like they were becoming like a Rolling Stones type band. Seniority. Yeah, they'll put out new albums, but exactly they'll they'll put out new albums which are going to do okay but you know no one's really bothered all they want to do is go out and see a greatest hit show kind of thing and that's what oasis kind of became probably for for sort of eight nine years at the end um now what we're finding now and i think then the fact they went away um bdi liam's band didn't do very well and that was really probably the low point noel's sort of first couple of albums did well but that was a different thing that was like more like okay well this is kind of this older statesman making kind of, you know, more sophisticated music kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas what we're finding now is it's, I think a lot of people of my generation in there sort of that, that grew up with Oasis have now got children, have now got kind of, you know, ch- children in their young teens or, or younger, and they're now really getting into them. And like, for instance, I saw um, Machine Gun Kelly and um, Youngblood, I think. Yeah, I saw um, that. <laughs> They've just recovered Champagne Supernova. That, yeah. to me, like as someone that knew the view of yeah, that ten years ago, there's no way that an artist like the modern cool artists would have covered a, a Oasis song. That's just bizarre. It's kind of gone full circle now, and, and they are now accepted in that level. And and then similar on a live music kind of thing. Like to go back to your question. Yeah. There's, there is, um, I mean, for instance, there's a band called the Lathams uh, in the UK now that are like, that are, if they had the machine behind them, like these bands did in the, the 90s, they could be absolutely massive. You know, there's there's people like, um, you know, Lewis Capaldi is currently kind of the biggest thing here, probably like since Ed Sheeran. Um, but it's not, it's not rock and roll, it's kind of pop. And so there's still this passion for music and for anthemic kind of music and anthemic kind of music was probably very inspired by oasis but they've kind of taken the anthemic kind of um uh, more easily accessible sort of wonderwall kind of oasis formula and that yeah. became coldplay and then it became like you know certain parts of like ed sheeran and people like that and that's kind of what's become the mainstream kind of pop now so a lot of people kind of blame that on oasis um whereas what we kind of want is the great british bands to come back you know like every two or three years there was always like the new great british band going back all the way to the beatles and the stones and the who and the kinks and led zepp and the Sex Pistols and the, you know, you can just go through and every two, three years, bang, there's the new great band. And we haven't had a new great band come from the UK since probably the Arctic Monkeys in about 2005, 2006. And it's, that's been like 15 years that no one's really come out and, you know, bought out a blistering debut album that's, that's taken the world by storm. And we need that, but yeah. but without kind of mainstream support or without sort of, I don't know, I mean, maybe this you know maybe this crazy world that we're in maybe that's what will do it maybe when we come out of this people will be desperate to to have something and someone is going to write the new wonderwall or someone's going to write the new don't look back in anger and save us all but i don't know it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. There's a show called The Britpop Revival Show, which is a. British, uh, it's on like a local radio station in the UK, but it also okay. broadcasts on um, Phonic FM, so it is mm-hmm. available, uh, and it's on Mixcloud as well, uh, Britpop Revival Show, and it's like once a week they play um, all Britpop, and so it ends up being like really obscure stuff, as well as like, you know, the, all the mainstays, but you also get all these other Britpop bands that never really made it, um, so I've, I've been on there sort of a, a couple of times um and uh nick from the show's done you know a couple of bits with me but i'll often like i listen to that and you know often i hear songs on that that i've not heard from the 90s and i'll be like you know taken aback by how great a song is and then you know and i'll be like this isn't rose tinted glasses this is literally if this song whether it's a suede b-side or whether it's a you know, I don't know, like a, a, a Candy Skins album track or something like that. If this song was just on the main radio right now, I would go, what is that? Like, who is that band? They are the best new band I've heard mm-hmm. in years. And it is just that at that that point, there was just something special in the water over here. And there are just so many bands that came out around that time whether it's the Blue Tones or whether it's Ash or whether it's, you know, I could name a hundred other Britpop bands that are just incredible, you know, um, and, and the stuff that was kind of connected to Britpop, but not really, you wouldn't really call it Britpop, like Radiohead, early Radiohead for me, and like Manic Street Preachers and like, you know, Cast and Ocean Colour Scene and, and all these bands, a Divine Comedy. I absolutely love the Divine Comedy. There's so many bands, Super Furry Animals, another one, like, and then all the female friend bands like Elastica and Sleeper and Echo Belly and like these are all incredible bands and if any of them came out now I would be like that is the best new band out you know and but it's just they just happened to come out at that time or uh, you know or, or I don't know what it was whether it is just me with rose tinted spectacles and, and if that had come yeah. out now I wouldn't like it but no I, I think there was something special in that sound yeah I'll have to uh have you send me a list of some of those bands because <laughs> I don't think I mean obviously I've heard of Arctic Monkeys and Radiohead but uh yeah a lot of those bands I've never heard of so oh and, my. well you need to check out the Britpop Revival show uh, I'll send you the I link will. to theirs because that is just a, a great way to to get a, a really good taster of that but no I'll, I'll do your playlist on Spotify if you could ask Noel and ask Liam one thing, what would it be? Oh, for God's sake. This is this is my problem, right? Because I'll talk about... I mean, Noel, I've just kind of accepted that that's never going to happen. He does nothing that has anything to do with Oasis. He avoids anything to do with Oasis. So I'm never going to get Noel. So I've kind of accepted that. With Liam, there has been a bit of contact. Like, he recorded the little bit that goes at the start of the episode. And I've had emails back and forth with his partner As and manager, were. Debbie. Exactly. <laughs> I want to thank everyone at the Oasis podcast. Um, so that's that was amazing, and you know to get that from him was incredible. So there there is contact, and I'm not. It doesn't look likely that we'll do anything anytime soon, but 
you know the 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 possibility is there i'm i always bang on about the fact that like oh he does these stupid interviews with like you know these crappy journalists that don't know anything and they just ask the same questions over and over again if he speaks to me i'm a proper fan i'll ask him all these brilliant questions yeah and yet if they said to me all right james uh fine how you fix for like two o'clock today i'd be like Oh, uh, so Oasis uh, going to get back together? Oh no, shit! That's the one yeah. bad question, you know. So, well, and I, I wonder if his like publicist, you know, would make you send questions over, and then they tell you like basically ask this question, so it makes him look good. Yeah, I think it's from from having spoken to people that have interviewed both of them. I think at various times they are given. Like, you know, you, you're allowed to answer, ask one Oasis question or or that it's not it's not like a, a, you are not allowed to discuss these topics. It's just that, mm-hmm. you know, if you do, you're probably going to do a pretty crap interview because if Liam or Noel kind of get onto that subject organically by themselves, yeah, then they're fine. You know, they'll do a, a great interview and, and they'll end up sort of coming out with something really interesting. Whereas if if you just flat ask them like so are Oasis going to get back together you just see them like you know roll their eyes like oh god here we go this is the like the worst question ever um, I give you an example I I interviewed a band I'm I'm by the way I'm completely sort of uh, ignoring the question because I haven't got a very good answer so uh, I interviewed fine. a ba- <laughs> I interviewed this band called the Web Brothers um, when I was at I said I was at <clears throat> university I was on the radio station there and I did. I did little bits and pieces. Um, and I interviewed a band called the Webb Brothers. Now, the Webb Brothers um, were the sons of Jimmy Webb, who was the famous songwriter who wrote, like, Up, Up, and Away, My Beautiful Balloon, and, like, loads of other famous songs of the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. And um, the Webb Brothers supported the Blue Tones, it was. And I, I really liked them. And so there was quite a few people that asked to interview. They, so they came to our, our town where I was at university. And everyone wanted to interview the Blue Tones, and, and so a few of us got into the room there. But then I was the only person that said I, I really wanted to interview the Web Brothers, so they sort of ushered me in, and I went backstage and I interviewed these guys. And I'm like 19 at the time, and I'm very nervous. I didn't know what I was doing, and I sort of thought, ah, oh, I know what a great question would be. And so I went straight in and said, oh, so is it difficult, uh, sort of living up to your, your the shadow of your dad because he was such a legendary uh, songwriter? And you just see these two guys just look at each other like, oh, for God's sake. And then, <laughs> and then, and then one of them just goes, uh, no, what's the worst thing is uh, being asked that stupid question by uh, interviewers all the time. Oh, fuck. I think I would break down if somebody said something Well, like I basically did. I, I was really just like, oh, uh, huh, okay, great. I was like, oh, shit, that probably was the worst question I could have possibly asked right then. Um, yeah. And I remember there was another point in that interview where, at the time, this was like the year 2000, so like Queens of the Stone Age had just got really big. So mm-hmm. this is like post-Britpop, kind of the the pendulum had kind of swung back to the States, and you had like At The Drive-In and Queens of the Stone Age, and, and sort of these sort of more rootsy kind of hard rock stuff was coming big. And I started asking a question about that, but I sort of realised... I'd been talking for like probably two or three minutes and I had no idea like how to then formulate it into a question. And so yeah. I think at one point I just stopped talking and was like, uh, 
so what do you think of that? <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> just these two guys just look at each other like, who is this idiot? But um, yeah, so that was good fun. But in, in going back to your question, <clears throat> what I would do is I would quickly ask on Twitter, guys, I'm interviewing Liam in 20 minutes. What's your questions? And I would pick the best questions that the guys on Twitter asked. That's exactly what I would do. So that was the band, the Web Brothers there, that I interviewed and had that horrible interview experience with. Um, I don't know if I've put that out on a different podcast. I think I might have done. But anyway, I've been doing this for three years. I find myself repeating myself sometimes. I'm sorry if I did. Uh, I wonder if they remember that. Remember that idiot that interviewed us in Leicester in 1999? What a fool. Anyway, whatever. Um, Thank you very much to Jake. Uh, for that as I say go and check out the main interview over on his channel or if you're a patron you can hear another chunk of it uh, in the next few days Uh, that will do it for today Um, as we said make sure you're getting hold of the book Um, oh one other big thing that happened this week was that um, so I interviewed Debbie Turner Debbie from Sister Lovers and uh, Liam Gallagher was tweeting as he often does and whenever Liam tweets, I sort of think, right, I should say something interesting. And he might reply to a tweet. And then that's an in to try and get him on the podcast. Um, and so I interviewed Debbie the night before. And I tweeted at Liam and said, um, hey, Liam, I just interviewed Debbie from Sis Lovers yesterday. Have you got a message for her? I thought that would be a good one. And it turned out it was. He came back and said, tell her I love her, which I thought was wonderful. Anyway, so following that, I then went and uh, replied and said, like, you know, you're welcome to come on the podcast. He didn't reply to that. Um, I emailed Debbie, his manager and partner, and uh, said, look, Liam's just replied to me. Could we do something? And I gave her a couple of ideas. And she just came back and said, hi, James. Thanks very much. I've put it to Liam. He said no, but I hope you're well. So there you go. Uh, it's a no but it's a nice no on good terms which is the best sort of no you can have really I suppose Um, and also Boned today uh, tweeted out about uh, asking for a podcast recommendation and a bunch of you uh, responded with Oasis podcast so much so that Boned then said uh, no Oasis ones or football ones and so still a bunch of you came back and said Oasis podcast. Uh, he didn't respond to me at all, um, but he never does. So I'm not surprised about that. Um, but it does sound like he's going to go on the stage left podcast, which would be great uh, because Chris over there knows some good questions and is a massive Oasis fan. So sure, we'll get some good info from him. And finally, uh, talking of people appearing on other podcasts but not mine uh andy bell has recently done the off the beat and track podcast with a stew whiffin and that was really good he actually um talked a bit not a huge amount but a bit about his uh 
transferring over from Hurricane to Oasis. Um, so that was quite interesting. A bit of uh, behind the scenes stuff about the Oasis days. So that is definitely worth checking out as well. And one day, let's hope that Andy will come and do our podcast and he'll go into it in a lot more detail. Anyway, that will do it for today. Thank you very much for listening to the Oasis podcast. And most of all, thanks go to our patrons. You put what you you put your money where your mouth is, and it's greatly, greatly appreciated. Uh, you can become a P- Patreon at patreon.com forward slash oasispod, which is where we post articles and bonus episodes and stuff. Um, so head on over there and go and check that out. And also, do please follow me on the social media, um, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please go and subscribe to my channel on YouTube. And if you can leave a review of this podcast somewhere, uh, then please do, because uh, that is really helpful. But that will do us. Uh, Until next time, stay in touch, stay engaged and stay young. Does one of you want to say um, the ending to the podcast for a laugh? Should we do it in turns? <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Katie, you can do it. Oh, God, I don't know what to say now. Um, thank you. And uh, oh, God, I really don't know what to say. You don't listen to the podcast. You don't even know how That's I finish right. it. Well, stay young, stay engaged. And, oh, no, stay, stay engaged. <laughs> oh, God, hang on a minute. Um, Stay in touch, stay engaged, stay young. (laughs) (laughs) With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. (gasps) No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.